Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning. It is great to see you on this, uh, man, gorgeous Sunday morning. And then uh, also just to be able to, man, celebrate with people getting baptized. Just an awesome day. And we're glad you're here. Before we jump in this morning, I want to give you a heads up that uh, the message today is not my normal thing. Um, If you've been around here long enough to hear me speak, I'm kind of a heart guy, speak from the heart kind of guy. Today is pretty heady. Um, And so I give you that warning because if you want to come up to me after this today and have a deep apologetics conversation, it will be short and you will be disappointed. Just giving you that warning. Um, I don't know if you, everyone can see what I'm holding here. Um, just a common spring. Um, and you've probably never thought about it. I don't know why anyone would think about this kind of stuff, but these are actually engineering marbles. You see, manufacturers, what they've done is they've figured out that if you take a certain alloy, you heat it at a certain temperature for a certain period of time, you almost end up creating memory within the metal. And so when this thing gets placed under any kind of stress or force, it exhibits this property of elasticity where it'll bend, it'll give, it'll flex, but then it will return back to its original state, kind of its home center position. And because of this bending and flexing, these things are very useful. Um, When I talk about returning back to its original state, I would say all springs except for the ones in my mattress. For some reason, we, we can develop AI, but we can't develop a mattress that doesn't sag. Anyone feel me on that? Um, But no, because these things flex and then return, they're very useful. We see them all over the place. They're used in car suspensions, garage doors, hinges, clocks, scales, valves, trampolines, which is where I took that from, my boy's trampoline, which I gotta put it back this afternoon because I don't want one of them going through a hole. You're probably thinking, well, thanks for the show and tell, Greg. What's the point? What does that have to do? anything to do with me. Um, We're in this series called Reasonable Doubt, where we're talking about what to do with doubts and questions about our faith. And I believe kind of the proper way to handle those tough questions is a lot like this spring. You see, as Christ followers, we have this kind of original state. We have this center home position, which is called Orthodox Christianity. But as Pastor Dave said last week, we all have moments where we doubt and we question our faith. But it's in those moments we have to have a theology that's able to bend and flex and give room, but not just flex, but then returns back to a solid theology, a solid doctrine. You see, I think for a lot of people like like myself, we grew up in a Christian home in a Christian environment. 
And we have this inherited faith, right? Where in a lot of times that, that faith, our belief system becomes very rigid because we were just taught, hey, this is what you believe. This is how it is. Uh, what, you know, this is, man, how things work. And you end up with this kind of very rigid theology. So then when any kind of stress or strain happens, what happens? It breaks. And I see this all the time friends of mine that I grew up with who went to church their whole life. Their parents went to church their whole lives. Their parents' parents went to church their whole lives. And, but they have this rigid theology, so when there's these tough questions, doubts come, or just a really horrible circumstance, they, have, they struggle to reconcile it with God, and their entire belief system ends up crumbling, just like a brick wall in an earthquake and they end up completely turning their back and walking away from God and Christianity. Now on the other extreme, you've got people whose belief system, man, it gives, it flexes, it moves and changes all the time. It's like silly putty, right? Because it ne there's never a return back to a center stable position. And what happens is, is with enough stress from just everyday life and from our culture, man, this thing gets so disfigured, so distorted that it doesn't resemble anything like when it, where it started because there's not this return to a sound, stable position. You know, Pastor Dave said last week, and I think it's so important that the church has to be a safe place where people can wrestle with their doubts and their questions because it's here that there will be that encouragement, that force back to a center stable position. And what happens is a lot of times people who are wrestling with doubts about God and faith, man, they end up surrounding themselves with the wrong kind of people. And as a result, they end up just deconstruction their, deconstructing their faith, faith with, with no reconstruction. Because again, there's no encouragement back to an original, stable home position, which is a solid doctrine, a solid theology. So again, we have to have a belief system that when we have these tough questions, we can bend and give a little bit, some room for it, but we also return back to our original state. So last week, Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave kicked off this series by introducing it. Uh, and over the next couple of weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna wrestle with a couple of different questions. And the question that I wanna kind of try to address and tackle today is can faith and science coexist? Or more specifically, can God Jesus and the Bible be reconciled with modern day science? And the short answer is yes. Yes, they can. You're welcome. God bless you. Have a great week. No, I'm just kidding. You're like, yes. No, I'm just kidding. But I think it would shock a lot of people to know that some of the most famous and influential scientists were Christians. People like Aquinas, Copernicus, Galileo, Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, Louis Pasteur, Robert Boyle, Pascal, Kelvin. You see, I believe modern day science, it was actually 
born and birthed out of Christianity because it was Christianity that encouraged man to search out and discover the reason and the purpose for the universe. And the search for truth, it is foundational to Christianity. And truth will never conflict with what God says because God is truth. And, but our culture wants us to believe something very different. Our culture wants us to believe that faith and science are incompatible, right? We hear it all the time. So I wanna tackle this by addressing, kind of splitting this up into three different questions. The first one's this, is there really a God who created all things? Is there really a God who created all things? And to, to kind of address this question, you have to dip your toe into the world of philosophy where you kind of have to address this idea of cause and this idea of intelligent design. Now, when I'm talking about cause, what I mean by that is that everything that exists must have a cause, right? Even scientists, non-Christian and Christian, have all agreed that our universe has had a beginning, it had a start or a cause. Man, with some of the recent developments with Hubble and whatnot, even like I said, all scientists now kind of on both sides agree that our universe did, ha did have a starting point. But naturalists, they'll refer to the cause as the Big Bang, right? Naturalists is just people who don't believe in anything supernatural. But the problem with, for naturalists is that something had to cause the Big Bang. Something had to cause it. And so they concede this point and naturalists will now point to an uncaused cause. And they describe it as an eternal, self-sufficient force. Which pretty much sounds like they're describing God, right? But the Bible tells us something very different. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And so God, who is eternal, existed before all things. He is the uncaused cause. He is the creator. And when we talk about intelligent design, what I mean by that is that, man, everything that's made, it's designed for a purpose, right? That chair you're sitting in, it's designed for you to sit on it. These lights are designed to give off light. This microphone is designed for the purpose of amplifying my voice. So everything that's made has a purpose, and it's made with intentionality. And if you look at our universe, both from a macro level all the way down to a microscopic level, what you will find is this unimaginable level of intentionality and intelligent design. Man, from astronomy to geology to physics to chemistry, from botany to the animal kingdom, from human anatomy and physiology all the way down to microbes, even if you look at an atomic level, what you will find is purpose 
and intelligent design. I'll give you an example. The earth, it's tilted on its axis at a 23 degree angle. If it was off by one degree, gravity would create devastating effects. If we were one degree closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were one degree further from the sun, we would freeze. And so the earth was perfectly designed to sustain life. Man, I could go on and on with example after example, because everywhere you look, you see intelligent design from how moon phases to affect plant growth to just even the pH of our human bodies. Everything is designed with purpose and intentionality. But what baffles me is that some of the most respected and influential scientists of our day, people like Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking, they believe this. I'm gonna do my best here. One day, just randomly, stardust slammed into stardust and our whole universe was formed. And a part of that universe was this one planet that had the exact precise conditions to sustain life. And on that one planet, this single cell organism was formed, which then became a multi-cell organism, which then became a fish and then grew legs, became an amphibian, then became a reptile, then a bird, then an ape, and then man, who has the ability to create language and art and all the technological advances that you see and maintain a moral standard. All because stardust randomly smacked into stardust. Man, when I hear that argument, I kind of have some respect because I'm like, that takes more faith than the creation account. Man, even Stephen Hawking said this, the universe and the law of physics seem to have been specifically designed for us. This is the atheist talking if one of 40 different physical qualities had slightly different value, life as we know it could not exist. They say it's accident. Here's what I say, Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Man, I believe creation itself testifies that there is a God who created all things. Second thing I wanna wrestle with this morning is, is Jesus really the son of God who was crucified and then rose from the grave? You know, it's funny, I think there's a very common belief out there that man, all religions are basically the same. Right, well, they all kind of end up at the same point, same place. I, I actually had this very conversation in the last week. I was at this birthday party and this guy who had no idea what I did for a living was just going on and on about how all religions are the same. But what separates Christianity from all other religions is the person of Jesus. You see, because no other religious leader ever claimed to be God, except for Jesus. Other religious leaders said, follow me and I'll show you the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. 
Other religious leaders said, follow me and I'll help you find truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Other leaders said, follow me and I'll show you how to be enlightened. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Other people said, follow me and I'll show you a path to God. And Jesus said, I am God. You're looking at him. One of those accounts, Mark chapter 14, verse 60. Listen to what happened with this account. It said, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And Jesus made similar claims in Matthew 26, John 14, that he is son of God. And this creates a problem for us, kind of, because you can't just say Jesus was a good man. Because if he's not the son of God, then he's a narcissistic manipulator. You can't say that Jesus was just a great teacher because if he's not the son of God, based on his own claims, he's a pathological liar. You can't say that Jesus was just a great prophet because based on his own claims, if he's not the son of God, then he's deranged, he's mentally ill. If Jesus is not who he says he is, you could make the case that he's the most evil person to ever live because he lied, manipulated, and misled millions upon millions of people. And Jesus looked at his very own disciples and said, who do you say I am? And I think that same question is, exists for us today where we have to resolve this. You have to choose. What about the crucifixion? This one's actually easy because ancient historians, again, Christian and non-Christians, they all agree that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Because even outside of the biblical accounts, there are five different historical accounts of this event. Just to give you perspective, ancient historians look for two to declare as that something really happened. But Jesus' crucifixion, there's five. I'll run through them real quick. You have Josephus wrote about it, the first century Jewish historian. Cassidus, an ancient Roman historian, wrote about it. Uh, Serapian, Lucian. You also see the crucifixion mentioned in ancient Jewish texts. This is so well documented that even secular inst academic institutions today just agree on this, that this, there was a guy named Jesus who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So you say, okay, well, what about the resurrection? And this part, I believe, is so critical. It's so critical to our faith. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 said, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and we are still in our sin. The resurrection's critical to our faith. And I think we need to remember that when Jesus was crucified, and he was buried, the opponents of Jesus made sure that that tomb was sealed and guarded because they wanted Jesus to stay dead. 
And as we know the Easter story, three days later, the stone had been rolled away, that tomb was empty. And here's what's fascinating to me. The opponents of Jesus never denied that the tomb was empty, did they? What did they claim? They claimed that the body had been stolen. But then it leads me to ask, well, who stole it? It for sure wasn't the religious leaders, the Jews. They, again, they wanted Jesus dead and to stay dead. It wasn't the Roman authorities. They wanted Jesus dead and to stay dead. I would argue it for sure wasn't the disciples and for a couple of reasons. One, they didn't have the means to pull that off. Secondly, if you look at the disciples at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, man, they were scared to death and they were basically running and hiding. They were, remember Peter denying, oh, I'm not the follower of Jesus, you got the wrong guy. Like they are scared to death. And then shortly after the crucifixion, Jesus appears 12 different times to over 500 people. And ancient historians have dated those eyewitness accounts to just months after the crucifixion. But I think the most compelling evidence for the resurrection is this. The change you see in the disciples. I just mentioned they were scared to death. They were running, hiding, denying who they were. And then all of a sudden, you see, they begin to boldly and publicly proclaim that he had risen, that Jesus is alive, to the point that they, many of them were put to death. Man, how on earth, man, does someone change that drastically so soon? I believe it's because they saw Jesus alive. Final question I wanna wrestle with is, is the Bible really true and is it the divine word of God? I think the, one of the biggest reasons people wrestle with this is because, how, you know, how can the Bible be the word of God if it was written by men? I probably hear that question all, you know, I don't know, every month probably, which I get it. So it it's a valid question. How can this be the word of God that we claim in Christianity? But it was written by all these men. And our answer for that is divine inspiration. And just to give you the definition of what that means, it's the supernatural process by which God used human instruments to reveal divine truth in written form. But we get that from verses like 2 Peter Chapter one, verse 20, which says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but the prophets, though human, spoke from God as, though, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then second, Timothy 3.16, which says, all scripture is God-breathed. And what's fascinating to me is that the Bible is comprised of 66 books, 30 authors, over a 1,500 year span. And with all that time and all of those writers and all of those books, there was a recent independent objective study that found the Bible to be 99.5 textually consistent. 
which means it doesn't contradict itself. Now, some skeptics will say, well, okay, the Bible may be true concerning spiritual things, but it can't be trusted historically. But here's what I would say. You can't separate those things. You can't separate the historical occurrences found in the Bible from the redemptive theological truths found in the Bible. I'll give you some examples of that. Man, if the creation account in Genesis did not really happen and it's not true, then Paul's writing about it in Colossians 1 is also not true. If the relationship of Adam and Eve never happened, then all of Jesus' teachings about marriage in the New Testament is also not true. If the flood in Genesis 7 never happened, then Jesus lied in Luke 17. Do you see the implications here? They're so intertwined that if one fails, the other fails. I think it's also important to note that the Bible's the only religious text that has predictive prophecy. And what that means is that there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that you can point to in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. Time Magazine um, many years ago did a whole feature on this. It was on the cover of the, of the magazine and it, it had the title, How True Is the Bible? You can actually look this up and find this. And I can tell you this, Time Magazine, a secular publication, they weren't looking to prove the Bible true. If anything, I would say that they were probably bent towards trying to discredit it. But listen to this excerpt out of Time Magazine. After more than two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that we brought to bear, the Bible has survived. And perhaps it is better for the siege. Even on the critics' own terms of historical fact, the scriptures seem more acceptable now than when we began the attack. That's Time Magazine. You know, as I wrap this up, I, I know that I know that I did not answer every question out there. I know that, man, there's no way I could settle every doubt. But honestly, I do hope that maybe today, maybe this message today can help you at least properly frame and address these questions and these doubts about faith and science and God and Jesus and the Bible and modern day science. I hope that at least can help you frame these things. Because I do know this, listen, I, I never have and never will argue someone into heaven. I can't do it. I can never convince someone into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. I just admit that. I can't argue, I can't prove everything to everybody. But I heard many years ago a quote that I've held on to so tightly, it said, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Let's sink in. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You see, church, please hear me on this. 
no matter where modern day science lands, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was, I don't know what, no matter what science says, I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I see God in creation. I know in the deepest part of my being that I am saved and made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And no matter what science says, I know that that book has radically changed my life. And that's my prayer for you that God would make himself known and reveal himself to you in your doubts and in your questions. And the Holy Spirit would meet you there and that your faith would be stronger on the other side. Let's pray. Father, we do bow before you, declaring that God, you are the creator of all things, God. There's no rival, there is no equal. God, as big as you are, God, I thank you that we can know you, that you are a personal God. And God, I thank you for loving us so much so that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and then rise three days later, defeating death, defeating the grave so that we can have life. And God, I thank you for giving us your word that God is a light to us. God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for a faith that I can have confidence in. God, I thank you for a faith that I can stand firm on. And God, in those moments of doubts, in those moments where we question things, God, I pray that we would have room to, to wrestle with that, but God, we would also surround ourselves with people, the right people who will encourage us to a position rooted in what you said and who you are. God, I thank you for every person here. I pray you would reveal yourself to them and your Holy Spirit would move in their life, would move in their hearts so they know, man, I have an experience and I don't care what argument is thrown at me because I know that I know that I know. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.